Paul says, so then, putting away all your lies, putting away all your falsehoods, let us speak the truth to our neighbors. For we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Be angry, but do not sin. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Holy Week. Those days between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday are a very strange time in the life of the church. While Christians, while lay people like you are gearing up for the joy of Easter morning, pastors, ordained people like me, try to slow everything down so that we can take stock of everything that happened from Sunday to Sunday before we jump straight to the empty tomb. Some churches embody this desire for uh, patience with dramatic performances. They'll get actors to play all of the different roles, all of the different characters, including Roman centurions guarding the tomb. Some churches are even crazy enough to bring a real donkey into the sanctuary, as if to embody Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Other churches will try to slow down Holy Week with special music and prayer services. Every night there will be time for reflection and prayer as a choir leads the gathered people through a few songs, and specific individuals will read narratives from the time of Jesus' final week. A few years ago, I got the great and brilliant and wise idea to try to preach the entirety of Holy Week in one 15-minute sermon. I was going to preach all of Holy Week in one sermon. So for me, I had to commit to memory everything that happened to Jesus from Palm Sunday until Good Friday. I had to commit to memory so that I could stand before the congregation I serve and help guide them through that triumphal entry all the way to the cross. And of course, because I wanted it to be memorable, I took palm branches, and I walked out in the center aisle, and I waved it, and I told everyone there about how the crowds were screaming, Hey, Zana! Hosanna! Blessed is the one who came in the north. And I even hit people so they would remember what we were talking about, and it made people pay attention. And I got super into it. I said, this is what happened on the first day. Jesus entered into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And then I said, the next day, he woke up, and he went to the table, and he was so, or the temple, and he was so furious with the way the moneylenders were exchanging money in the temple that he took the tables, and he took them over, and then he went on to the next place. He went to the Mount of Olives, and he wept for Jerusalem. And I kept going, and I had all this energy, and I concluded by taking a hammer, and I hit the cross. Outside of the sanctuary to shake my hand. And I had all this energy. I had poured out my heart and my soul into this 15 minute sermon about Jesus' final week. It was just filled with all of the energy and the tension of that worship service. And the only thing people said to me was, Gee, Taylor, you sounded pretty angry. Are you sure you're okay? I mean, we know it's not easy being a pastor, but are you okay? Be angry. Be angry. But do not sin. There is little truth in advertising. In fact, advertising is based on trying to sell us a lie. If you buy this car, 
If you buy this car, you will finally find all the fulfillment you've been looking for. If you go on this vacation, your children will finally love you and respect you. If you take this pill, you will look like the man or the woman of your dreams. But Paul? Paul is a terrible advertiser for the church. Because while we in the United Methodist Church are quick to make sure that people know we, we have open hearts and open minds and open doors. Paul? No. Paul tells the truth. He says the church in Ephesus is screwed up. They are filled with all sorts of bitterness and wrath and anger, slander and malice. He says they have so much of it, in fact, that he has to call them out individually to say, you've got to get rid of it all. When I read from Ephesians, I think, who in their right mind would want to go to a church like that? Who wakes up on a Sunday morning and says, yeah, you know what? I want to try that community of selfishness. I want to try that community of greed, that community of angry people. Paul doesn't mince words. He says the church in Ephesus is broken. They've got tons of problems with no easy solutions. They've got to drop a lot before they can pick up their crosses. The Ephesians would have to give up nothing short of themselves. Their need to always be right. Their need to feel superior. They would have to give up all of their grudges and all of their bitterness. They'd have to give it up all. All of it. If they wanted to really be the church. I think what Paul was trying to say was that if they wanted to really be the church, they'd have to be like Coke's very church. Because friends, we're perfect, aren't we? From where I stand, I see a room of beautiful people. I see a room of people filled with nothing but love and hope and joy. I see people with perfect families. I see people with overflowing bank accounts. I see people without fear, without knowledge of loss. I see perfection. Paul says, so putting away falsehood, putting away the lies, let us speak the truth. What is the truth? Well, the truth is that we are far from perfect here at Cokesbury. We, like the Ephesians, we're filled with bitterness, with wrath and anger and slander and malice. And they might not bubble to the surface very often. They might not even bubble to the surface here in church. But deep down, we all know what's really there. We know the people we've maligned. We know the bitterness we feel toward other people. We know the wrath that can bubble up when we least want it to. What about anger? See, anger is an interesting one because here in this passage, what Michael just read for us, Paul says to be angry. And then later in the passage, he says, put away your anger. Be angry, put away your anger. Anger is a strange thing because for me, anger isn't always or necessarily a bad thing. Jesus was angry all the time in the Gospels. As fully God and fully human, Jesus could not not be angry. When he encountered the Pharisees looking on those at the margins of life, Jesus, Jesus got angry. When he saw what was happening inside the temple in Jerusalem, he turned the tables over out of anger. When Peter raised a sword in the garden, Jesus said no out of anger. And whereas others might caution us against adding fuel to the fire with our own anger and others' anger, Jesus' anger is a lens into the divine desire for a different reality. Paul cautions the church in Ephesus 
He tells them to avoid conflict, which is a basically impossible thing for all of us because he knows and we all know that conflict is at the very heart of who we are. And conflict is at its very worst when we get the bright idea to tell the truth. Because the truth, the hard and unavoidable truth for the church today is that we've got plenty to be angry about. We're angry. We're angry that it's been a whole year since the white supremacist march in Charlottesville, and it feels like nothing's really changed. We're angry that people in our community don't have food to eat, don't have clothes to wear, don't have beds to sleep in. We're angry that people are treated as less than whole here in Woodbridge because of things like the color of their skin or their religious beliefs or their sexual orientation, or their country of organ. We have got plenty to be angry about, and we should be angry. Because being angry isn't the problem. It's what we do with it. We can and perhaps should be angry about what happened in Charlottesville a year ago. But the people marching, the people chanting about death to Jews and death to black people, they're angry too. They've just let their anger manifest itself in violence and degradations of entire populations. We can be angry, maybe we should be angry about those who are suffering in our community, but there are people who are angry at those who are suffering for no other reason than the fact that they're suffering. They let their anger manifest itself in selfish ways that belittle people for choices they did not make for themselves. Perhaps we can and should be angry at all the people who are xenophobic and sexist and racist and homophobic, but those people... They're angry too. They just let their anger out in really terrible, horrible ways against people without knowing or caring about who they really are. The line between anger and wrath is slim and mysterious. Because there is good anger. There is good anger that propels us toward uh, the divine will. Anger that gives us the courage to speak out against injustice in our midst. There's anger that provides the strength necessary to imagine a different way of being. But there's also bad anger. There's anger that pushes us closer to violence. Anger that encourages us to see the other as other instead of as brother. And there's anger that justifies a hatred and a terrible way of being. The last hymn that we sang, They Will Know We Are Christians by Our Love, it was written in the 1960s. And of course, it contains all of the cliches that you can imagine about Christians in the 1960s. It paints this really hopeful image of the church, where people will walk hand in hand, and they'll work side by side. And you know what? That's a far cry from what the church actually looks like. The hymn sounds a lot more like those terrible advertisements that promise us an impossible future. And I wonder about the lyrics of that song. I mean, how many people outside the church look at Christians and know us for our love? Because sometimes, we Christians, we tend to be the most negative and hostile and unloving people around. There are times when Christians, none of you, not me, Relish in opportunities to stir up and perpetuate conflicts rather than resolving them. I think that if we ask people outside the church what they know us for, it isn't our love. I think they know us for our anger. 
So the question remains, why in the world would people want to join us? Who in their right mind wakes up on a Sunday morning and says, gee, you know what? I think I'm going to go hang out with those angry people at Cokesbury. Yeah, maybe that's what I need, to be around more angry people. Why do you come here every week? Because we're an angry people, we Christians. I just think that that's okay. We worship a Messiah who spent most of his ministry being angry. But our anger, our anger, like Christ, should not send us into despair. It should not send us into violence. Our anger, like Jesus' is, sends us to an even stranger place. It sends us to the truth. And Paul begins this section by telling the people in Ephesus to tell the truth to their neighbors, which is no doubt a worthy venture, but maybe I think we should start a little closer to home. Perhaps the person who needs to hear the truth is me. It's you. Because it is far too easy to hear this text from Ephesians and imagine all of the other people in our lives about whom it seems to describe. We can immediately conjure up in our minds someone who is too bitter, someone who is too wrathful, someone who is too angry. But friends, this is also about us. There is no one for whom these words do not represent a profound challenge. Because the time has come for the truth. For people like you and me to take a good hard look in the mirror and admit who we really are. We can even be angry about it if we so choose. But then that anger, that, that raw energy, that feeling we have about the truth of our nature, we can focus it in the right place. While Jesus starts to work on us from the inside out. You see, I think that's why people come to church. It's why people come to church even though they know it's filled with angry people like you and me. People come here because they're angry too. And they know on some level that the hymns we sing and the prayers we pray, they are like seeds getting planted within us that spring into new life. They know whether they can articulate it or not that the church is the place where they can bring their anger. Church is a place where they can be angry. And the anger will set them free. People don't come to church because it's open-hearted, because it's open-minded, though it certainly doesn't hurt. People commit their lives to the work of the church. People give their lives to Jesus because Jesus is here in this place with you and me. Jesus is the one who makes our anger intelligible and applicable. Jesus takes up all of our pent-up frustrations with the world and ourselves, and he flips them over like the tables in the temple, and he says, follow me. God in Christ doesn't make our anger disappear. Church is not the salve that fixes all of our wounds, but the church is the place, the only place, where we discover how anger is the beginning of something new. It's the beginning of the revolution of our heart. Anger, good and righteous and godly anger, is the catalyst that reshapes all of the possibilities we believe about the world. Anger, good and righteous and godly anger, is what Jesus felt as he walked to the foot of the cross. So it's fine. It's fine if those outside the church will know we are Christians by our love. But maybe, maybe it would be better if they knew us by something else, like our anger. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.